0: What is it that determines beauty? For instance, this flower. We look at it and we we see the photograph of it, and we say, well, that's beautiful. Or this sunrise in the mountains, and we say, that is beautiful. Or this home covered in snow, it is beautiful. Or maybe even this old church. We say, is beautiful and i wonder is it the photograph that's beautiful or is it the actual object that is beautiful or a person young old look at it and we say well they are beautiful for for many of you you have a spouse and the longer you are with them the more their beauty gross. I think my wife is more beautiful today than I did when we were married. Or the relationship between a mother and their child. This is beautiful. But also they are beautiful. Or maybe a family. So the question, what is beauty? Beauty? What is beautiful, and how do we define beautiful? Now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away, and the chief priest and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly to kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. While he was in Bethany reclining at the table at the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. And she broke the jar and poured perfume on his head. And some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor? And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you. And you can help them any time you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. And truly I tell you, Wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. And then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest to betray Jesus to them. And they were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. And so he watched for an opportunity to hand over, So I want to talk for just a second about context, and then I want to talk about three different perspectives in the story, and then I want to kind of talk about why this matters to you and I. So first of all, the context, this happens at the time of Passover. And if you remember back to the story, and Brian kind of touched a little bit um, on some of the traditions, but if you remember back to the original Passover, Israel is in bondage with in egypt and god is freeing them from their slavery and he takes them through the red sea and before they go through the red sea god says i want you to take a lamb and i want you to put the blood on the door frames and at night i'm going to pass by i'm going to kill all the firstborns in egypt but if there is blood on the door frame on the doorpost, then i'm going to skip over that house and spare the lives of the people inside And so you have this this context, and for thousands of years leading up to this time, this Passover has been celebrated in remembrance of what God did for His people in delivering them. And so Passover ultimately is about a relationship with death, either being tied to it or set free from it. And so it's the time of Passover and Jesus has lived on this earth for 30-something years now. He's been doing ministry and now they are looking for a way to kill him. And it's coming to the time of Passover where people from everywhere are coming into the city, coming to worship, coming for Passover. And here is Jesus who has been committed by one of his close friends who's going to betray Him. And so you have this Passover that is coming. But then also there is the place that this occurs. So they are in Bethany. And Bethany, if you don't remember, is the village where Mary and Martha and Lazarus lives. And Lazarus is someone that Jesus had raised from the dead. But Bethany is a small village a couple of miles down the hill in the shadows of the Temple Mount. And the name Bethany means the house of the afflicted. And so Jesus is there at a man's house named Simon the leper. Most likely someone who's been cured of leprosy because of the Jewish laws. He couldn't have been in social circles and in a house with other people. And so he's tied to his past identity. He's still called by what he used to be and who he was. And so they're sitting in this house awaiting Passover in a city, a town, a village called the house of the afflicted. And so Jesus enters this story sitting in this house, knowing where he is going, knowing what lies ahead over the next several days. And a woman comes to him. And this woman has this alabaster jar of perfume. And she breaks it open, the the text says she smashes it open, and she pours it out over him. Now, there's a couple of different people watching this unfold, and there's a couple of different, or three different perspectives that we see in the story. The first one is from the woman. It's all that I have. We don't know where she got the perfume, but we know it's expensive. My guess is it's a family heirloom, and it's something that's been in the house for a long, long time. It says it's worth about a year's wages. About 300 denarii. If you want to kind of think in our terms, think about $30,000. An extravagant gift. And this is what she has to give. And she breaks it open and pours it over Jesus as an act of worship as an act of exaltation, as an act of adoration. This is what I have. And you can have it all. Because she doesn't just simply open the top and pour a little bit out. She breaks it open and pours it over Jesus. But there are some people watching as this scene unfolds, and they become angry at what's just happened. They became angry because... Jesus is allowing this to happen. Do you realize what we could have done with this perfume? We could have sold it for 300 denarii. We could have sold it for a year's wages and we could have fed poor people and given people who had nothing all they needed. What a waste. This woman wasted this. And they're angry at her. And I think they're angry at Jesus for allowing this to happen. But my guess is this is not really about the poor. This is more about them. I think this is more about them and their unwillingness to see beyond what they see. Their their unwillingness to be able to tell what Jesus has been telling them and listen to what Jesus has been telling them for years and years, that I'm going to suffer, I'm going to die, and that I'm going to be resurrected. I think ultimately it's about her giving what they are unwilling or unable to give. And so when we are unable and unwilling to do what they are doing, what she is doing, we criticize and we point fingers. Then there's a third perspective. And it's the one of Jesus. Sitting there and he says, what this woman has done is beautiful. And you have these disciples, these people who are following Jesus, who are with Him every single day, criticizing this woman. And He he says to them, why do you bother her? Stop bothering her. Leave her alone. What she is doing is beautiful. It's this action that she is carrying out, this act of worship, this act of adoration. This is beautiful. And so you have these three perspectives as you come to the story. This one of a woman who says, this is all I have, and I'm going to give it completely and fully to you. You have these disciples who are supposed to be giving themselves completely and fully to Jesus, and they're saying this is a waste, and then you have Jesus pointing back to what the woman did, saying, no, don't stop her. What she is doing is beautiful. because she took what she had and she broke it open and poured it out. So, why does this story matter to you? Why does this story matter to me? First of all, the story matters because worship matters. See, you will worship something. You will give your life completely to something. It it may be self, where where we want our best interests and our best, because I think that's where the disciples who are saying this is a waste, I think that's where they're at. We can worship religion. We can worship um, wealth. We can worship power and position and prestige. We can put so many different things on a pedestal and consider them idols. You see, because we love to anoint new idols. And we break ourselves open and pour ourselves out over the heads of idols that never can do all that they've promised. We give ourselves to so many different things. Why is it that we give what's so valuable to things that will not last? Why do we break ourselves open and pour ourselves out over things that will one day be gone? See, if you're going to give the best of what you have, you might as well give it to something that will last. Something that in the end will still be there. Something that in the end still matters. And so I want to just give you this piece of advice as you worship, that worship matters. Waste yourself on Jesus. Waste time in His presence. Well, yeah, but I need on Facebook and see what everyone's doing today. Or i got a house to clean. Waste time in the presence of Jesus. For this woman, this jar that's broken and poured out is all she has. This life is all you have. Break it open and pour it out. This time is all you have. You don't get another shot at it. Spend it fully and completely in adoration and exaltation of the King. Give these extravagant gifts of worship. As we come and gather on a weekly basis and sing, I hope you leave here tired. Because you have poured everything out that you have worshiping your God. But I hope that that doesn't stop the second you walk out of this building. That it's an act that that accompanies every single moment of every single day. That you're breaking yourself open and pouring yourself out for things that matter, for things that last, for the kingdom of God. Because in the end, It is the one thing that will matter. And you have these disciples who are sitting here watching what's happening, pointing fingers, criticizing, saying, But what about the poor? This extravagant gift is too much. But this was not about the poor, this was about power and position. This was about what we are unwilling ourselves to give. And when we're unwilling to do that, it's so much easier to criticize others who are doing it. I mean, in Christianity, in these circles, we have a tendency to point fingers at the way other people worship God, and I think Jesus might just say to us, leave them alone, you worry about you. Because what will happen inevitably is you will end up worshiping your righteousness instead of the one who is righteous. Well, we're right, and we've drawn the line, and we know this is how it's supposed to be. No. Now you're worshiping a system that you see. And you're not worshiping Savior. Waste your worship on the one who matters. Not on whose system is right. So when we come and we worship and we pour ourselves out, I think Jesus says that is a beautiful thing. I want want to see more of that. Because this is about redemption. See, people who have been broken and poured out are the ones that God is piecing back together. He's piecing them back together in a beautiful way. And God will use the people that everyone else counts out. Because they're broken. And because they're from that little tiny village. I mean, if you want to see true worship, go up the hill a couple of miles to Jerusalem. That's where they're doing it right. Not in the house of the afflicted. Not in a city, a little town, a little village that's not even a blip on the the radar. Not in Bethany. But yet in Bethany you have this lady breaking open all that she has and pouring it out. See, and this matters too because of the invitation. See, this story is not just simply a memorial to a lady. It is also an invitation to live your life as she did. Because this new identity that we take on in Christ, this identity of the baptized, is ones that are joining Jesus in what He is doing. I mean, this is a pattern for life, a pattern of worship. This is how our life is supposed to be, broken and poured out. It's what Jesus did on the cross. He was broken and He was poured out. Maybe we could look at it like this. The cross was the ultimate act of worship to God. Jesus breaking open his life, pouring himself out, and then God raising him from the dead. This beautiful act of worship. See, by your actions, would people be able to tell that he, Messiah Jesus, is the most important in your life? That He is the center of everything that you have and everything that you are? That's such a compelling question. Would people be able to tell by simply looking at your life that He is at the center of everything for you? Or He's just another aspect? Because if He's just another aspect... I would suggest there are some idols that need to come down. Idols that you probably don't want to see, idols that you're probably uncomfortable to mess with, idols that you have have set in place to make you feel safe and secure. And what Jesus is calling us to is leave that safety and security behind, to break ourselves open, pour ourselves out for Him, not just simply now, but every single day of your life. And trust that He has the power. That God who raised Jesus from the dead has the power to resurrect you. Broken, poured out, now made whole. In First Peter, he says, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down from you to you from our ancestors. Like they've told you this system and here's how you get into God's good favor. But with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish, or defect. See, the story starts at Passover, in this relationship with death, that you're either tied to it or set free from it. And the story ends with Judas making this commitment, picking out the Passover lamb that is going to be killed. And saying, here is your Passover lamb. Not having any clue really what he's doing, but here is your perfect spotless lamb. And if you allow his blood to cover your life, then you will experience redemption. You will experience salvation. And it only comes through him. It's not through the silver, it's not through the gold, it's not through the system, it's not through the idols, it's not from self. It's only through the blood of Jesus Christ that we're made whole. There's an art form called kintsugi. And it's a Japanese practice of piecing back together what is or what was broken. Because something that's broken is typically seen as useless, to be thrown away, to be discarded, and not to be thought of again. But they look at this art form and they see these cracks. This pottery that was pieced back together. Not as a disguise, but to tell its story. To tell the story of what was broken and has been put back together. See, there's beauty in the broken. There is beauty. And what it was broken and poured out for this woman. There's beauty there. There was beauty in what was broken and poured out on the cross. And there's beauty when God's broken people put back together, resurrected redeemed. Again, break themselves open and pour themselves out. Because when you decided to follow Jesus, what you were committing to is not just simply him saving you, but it was you entering into a lifestyle of continuously breaking yourself open and pouring yourself out for the good of the kingdom. So that the name of Jesus would be proclaimed. And wherever this gospel is preached, this story will be told. Why? Because what is broken and poured out is beautiful. And it's beautiful because God through Christ is piecing the broken back together. See, for for so many of you. You come and you're so aware of your brokenness. You're, You're so aware of where you have been and what your past looks like. And you're afraid of what everyone else might think. The fingers they might point. But here's the honest truth. Every single person is broken. Every single one of you are completely messed up. But sometimes we have trouble admitting it today. May today be a day where you are broken and poured out. But may that day, may this day, not be the last time it happens. See, bring, being broken is beautiful, but it's also painful because it reminds us of who we are. And we come to this time of year, this time of Thanksgiving, where we remember a broken and poured out Messiah. Said this is for you. We have much to be thankful for. Father today, we pray that through your spirit our broken lives will be pieced back together. And we pray, Father, that through our brokenness, people will see the glory of Jesus exalted and lifted high. And Father, that we pray our life would be a constant act of worship and adoration to a God who gave himself for us and a God who's piecing us back together. And Father, may the world see the beauty of the broken we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've never given your life to Christ, we offer you that invitation. Come to him this morning. Um, It's there through baptism that our sins are washed away, that we are made new. Um, What what greater step you could take to be pieced back together today, but if we could simply pray for you as well. We'll have ministry staff, shepherds around this auditorium. Um, We would love to just put our arm around you and pray over you and pray for you. Whatever you need, come while we stand and sing. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thy